From Aviva Brands, this is Express, the podcast for brands. I'm Dr. David Kippen, CEO and Chief Strategist of Aviva, and your host. Over the past few episodes, I've given you a pretty detailed overview of what we called brand expression. Here it is in a sentence. Understand your target, figure out the big idea, decide and document your goals and objectives, create your playbook, and develop your creative concepts. That's expression. Except for research and maybe market testing your concepts, all of that happens away from your audience. So now, basically, you've got evidence, strategy, and a big idea in beautiful art. If you're the client, everything's probably feeling pretty expensive and risky. You've put your reputation on the line, you've been along for the ride, you have ideas you believe in, but no customer results you can point to, and no ROI. But if you're the agency... If you're confident in the work, you're feeling good. I mean, really good. And if the work's great, you feel that post-workout, high endorphins, all is right with the world good. Now, if you're a client, this probably doesn't surprise you, but the reason might. To understand why you and your agency can see the same thing in such different ways, we have to go all the way back to Aristotle and his treatise on poetics. The poetics is about how and why people respond to art. It's fascinating for a bunch of reasons I won't go into here, but I love it for one breakthrough insight. Talking about tragedy, that is, tragic plays, tragic poetry, Aristotle says tragedy effects through fear and pity the catharsis of such emotions. That's a small phrase, but a huge insight. In other words, though you watch a play on stage, though the actors act out their emotions on stage, yelling, screaming, crying, whatever, the catharsis doesn't happen on stage. It happens in you. The catharsis on stage is simulated. They're acting, and we know that. And yet, when everything comes together, their simulated tears become your real tears. That's catharsis. Some kind of catharsis is the goal of most every form of artistic expression. And if it doesn't happen in you, it's a failure of the art. Now, advertising is commercial art, but it's still art because it plays by exactly those same rules. If it moves the audience, if it creates a catharsis in them, it'll be successful. It's through catharsis, in the Aristotelian sense, that brands make people take selective action. If they're good, they move you. So, if your agency is feeling good and confident in the work, it's because they've seen the catharsis. Like actors in rehearsal, they know it's going to work. But it still needs an audience, so it's time for part two in the life of your brand. We've talked a lot about expression. Now, it's time to start gathering impressions. If it were any time before the late 90s, your agency would turn that good work and some budget parameters over to a media planner. They do some negotiating, create a media plan, review it with you, and once you'd signed it off, buy it for you. That's different now, of course, but what's important to recognize about this distant history is that while most everything's changed to some degree or other, many elements of this model are still with us. What's new is the available media and what that means for your media mix. And here's a thought. Rather than looking at paid media first, which most folks do probably because it's been around longest, I'd argue paid media, which is just the media you pay for, should be planned last. It should be used to fill the gaps, not for blanket coverage. So let's take a closer look at your media universe in the order you'll want to plan. So where do you start? 
First, you'll want to look at the end of your customer journey at Owned Media. Owned Media is just what it sounds like. It's media you own. Your own media are at least the main company website, because it serves as either the virtual store or the virtual product or service menu. And if brands exist to make people take selective action, your website, your physical locations, your display, product locations, and your event locations are where that action happens. And while you might not think of an event or a store as media, they're delivering impressions, so they're media. And that idea doesn't stop at attractive decor. For most brands, the workforce is a key ingredient in this mix. Earlier, I talked about how employees delivering the Ritz-Carlton's gold standards are a core part of the brand's promise. That's true, but it's not just true of high-end luxury. In Starbucks' Green Apron book, you'll find very human, personal ways of working and interacting with customers. You'll find a completely different flavor at Amazon, one based on the idea of customer obsession. That idea anchors Amazon's leadership principles, and it's foundational to the brand. Well, truth is, virtually every great brand relies heavily, even obsessively, on the workforce to deliver a branded experience. So you should consider the workforce as an essential part of your brand's owned media as well. Now here's a tip. Optimize your owned media before you do anything else. Before spending any time or money driving traffic toward owned media, your first priority is ensuring that they deliver the right experience and the right messages to your target audience. And if they're not delivering on your brand's differentiators, you must fix them first. Why would you drive traffic to an empty or a shabby store? It's kind of like inviting friends over for dinner, but not cleaning the house. Who does that? Okay, let's talk about earned media. Earned media used to refer to coverage your brand didn't pay for. Think of restaurant reviews in your local paper, for example. If you're a restaurant, they're important, but you don't buy them. Today, the phrase covers any media in the public domain you don't pay for but benefit. So, for example, your corporate Facebook page, your Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest account, YouTube channel, Periscope channel, the list is endless and growing longer every day. Now, your business strategy will work better with some channels than others, so once you have your own media lined up with your objectives, the next step is to develop an earned media strategy. This includes social content you create, like white papers, PR, and anticipated event coverage, with clear objectives and targets for each channel, each segment, and each event. If we were still in the early days of social media, this would be where we talked about how social media is a conversation, not a broadcast platform, how important it is for the brand to be authentic, how dangerous it is to be unresponsive to social channels once your brand is socially present, and so on. But that's so 2010. Today, we talk about leading the conversation instead of joining it, and we point to painful social fails as kind of cautionary tales. But truth is, I'm fairly sure nobody's got this fully figured out. You see it every day. An agency that does great work for one client ends up on the oops list for another. And that makes sense. What we're talking about when we talk about social is nothing less than most of us, and people are complicated. So think of social as your brand on the subway. Maybe nobody's looking at you, but everybody's listening. So it's a great opportunity to meet folks, to get noticed, and to make impressions. The third part of your media mix is paid media. There are two reasons to look at paid last. The first is that it's probably the easiest media to master because someone else is doing all the legwork. So if you do it first, it can easily become a crutch and you'll spend too much. 
The second reason, the more important one, is that if you look first at owned and earned media, you'll be more likely to come to paid media planning with very clear goals and objectives. Rather than saying, what can paid media do for my brand, you'll say, can paid media reach these four key targets in these five locations I can't get to with owned and earned? The answer will be yes. But wait, stop. Before hauling off to do a media buy, there's another vital consideration, namely how your media work together. You might imagine you'd want all media to take people to your website, but you actually probably don't. You're probably better off developing an integrated strategy across media platforms, one that aligns with the stages of awareness, need, and desire we call the brand ladder. Here's how that works. From a campaign standpoint, you'll want audiences who have never heard of your product or service to hear about it again and again and again until it has a place on their mental dashboard that connects to you. So let's say you're a B2B brand and you've decided the best place to generate awareness is through a social channel like LinkedIn. Yes, this channel might drive traffic to your website or store, but its real job is to spread the word and the awareness. Once audiences have a reasonable level of awareness, or clarity, you'll often need to establish relevance, that is, to demonstrate that the product, or service, or whatever it is, solves a problem relevant to your target demographic. While there are countless ways to do this, the easiest example to bring to mind is the infomercial. In infomercials, no matter the product, the pitch is the same. This product is relevant to your need. Let me show you. Now, in your case, your B2B case, YouTube does a lot of the heavy lifting here because video works really well for demonstration and YouTube lets you be more casual and fun and engaging than most television would. In theory, each rung of the brand ladder could be best served by a unique channel. Resonance, which is the idea that your brand aligns with my needs. Differentiation, the idea that there's something I can only get from your brand. And finally, energy, I want to take action now, well, each of these could be in a different channel, and your traffic strategy, which is the way you move people from one channel to another, could clearly dictate how you inform and deepen the brand experience. That channel-segmented model is not ideal for a whole bunch of reasons, but you get my point. Different messages may be better served by different media or by a different media mix. So, bottom line, each element of your media plan owned, earned, and paid may have several unique jobs to do in supporting your brand. So now you've got your media mix figured out. You've developed creative assets for each medium. You've developed a media plan, initiated your media buy, and you've launched. Your message is finally out there in the wild, collecting and hopefully making impressions on your target audiences. But is there catharsis? Is it everywhere? Well, you need to know. So the final step in mastering your media mix is clearly seeing what happens when real people meet your brand. We once had the opportunity to speak to a number of great chefs for a client project. During the course of our conversations, we asked, what's the difference between a great cook and a great baker? We were told that a great baker is able to consistently make something the same way while a great cook consistently brings the best out of the particular ingredients she cooks with. Well, if this is true, developing a great media mix is a lot more like cooking than baking. Every campaign, 
Every audience, every execution has specific nuances that come together at a particular moment in a particular place. And that means really basic, simple things like what looked great on your designer's monitor might look great backlit in an indoor mall, but might get totally lost on the side of a building or a billboard. So measurement, the last step in the process, is to media as tasting is to cooking. It's best done often and by people who know how to cook and can tell the difference between something's being just not done yet and just not right. Because each medium offers different metrics and often different sample times and sizes, you should plan to spend nearly as much time planning your measurement strategy as you spend planning your media. If you do, you'll be able to make adjustments across channels in real time and optimize the effectiveness of your campaign against your campaign targets. So that's expression, the art of figuring out what your brand stands for, and impression, the art of putting that out into the world and watching it do its job. There's clearly more to gathering impressions than I can cover in a single post, so my colleagues at Aviva will devote the next few weeks to a closer look at each of these topics. Next week, Stephen will double-click on media plans. Then the following week, Amo will show you how concepts go from big ideas to insertions with a specific job to do. Then finally, at the end of the month, Kate will share how we refine and retarget subsequent media activities and, where needed, refine the assumptions in our strategy at a campaign level and at a brand level, and hopefully how campaign activities have increased your brand value. Thanks for listening. I know I covered a lot of ground, so if you'd like a refresher, you'll find this article on our blog. Go to avivabrands.com, that's E-V-V-I-V-A, then the word brands.com, go to blog, and look for The Art of Impression. You'll find what I covered here, plus a bunch of links to examples. And, as always, we want this to be useful, so if you've enjoyed this episode of Express or have suggestions to make it better, please give the gift of feedback. Send a note to express at avivabrands.com.